Coming up, what an excellent day for statues. And welcome to Minute 10 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist Minute by Terrifying Minute. My name is Lester Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And I'm Ian Hinden. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Oh my God, we have a guest, our first guest, Keenan. I can't believe it. This is our longtime friend, actor, writer, producer, game designer, developer, entrepreneur, and all-around creative genius, Ian Hinden. How did he get here? I think one of us uncovered the amulet and it summoned him and now he is in here with us. Ian, how you doing? Oh, I'm I'm good. Thanks for having me here. Ian and I were joking that he's like the um what did you say you're the father of this podcast, Ian? Oh, yes. I uh, I introduced the two of you, and so I feel like uh, I'm the father of this podcast, and Daddy has come home. <laughs> oh. I was saying he's more the Hello Dolly, so he's the Barbara Streisand <laughs> who's matched us together. I thought we were going the Catholic way. I thought we had like a father, a son, and oh, a Holy Ghost, and oh, I was trying right. to discern who was who. Was who. <laughs> I could be the ghost. Don't worry you want to be the Holy Ghost? The one that everyone always forgets. Yeah, I'll be him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so our minute starts with our man in khaki revealed from behind that pillar from the previous minute. And it ends with a close-up on his face. Now, once again, I'd like to read this scene from the book because I think Blatty does a wonderful job creating this mood and setting us up for this face-off we're going to have. So here we go. A reading from the book of Blatty. The man in khaki walked, compelled. Shrugging loose of the city, he reached the outskirts, crossing the Tigris. Nearing the ruins, he slowed his pace, for, with, with every, every step, step the inchoate the presentment took a firmer, more horrible form. Yet he had to know. He would have to prepare. A wooden plank that bridged the coaster, a muddy stream, creaked under his weight. And then, he was there. He stood on the mound where once gleamed fifteen-gated Nineveh feared nest of Assyrian hordes. Now the city lay sprawled in the bloody dust of its predestination. And yet, he was here. The air was still thick with him, that other who ravaged his dreams. A Kurdish watchman, rounding a corner, unslung his rifle and began to run toward him, then abruptly stopped and grinned with a wave of recognition and proceeded on his rounds. The man in khaki prowled the ruins, the temple of Naboo, the temple of Ishtar. He sifted vibrations. At the palace of Azerbanipal, he paused, then shifted a sidelong glance to a limestone statue hulking in situ. Ragged wings, taloned feet, bulbous, jutting, stubby penis, and a mouth stretched taut in a feral grin. The demon. Pazuzu. Abruptly, he sagged. He knew. It was coming. He stared at the dust. Quickening shadows, he heard dim yappings of savage dog packs prowling the fringes of the city. The orb of the sun was beginning to fall below the rim of the world. He rolled his shirt sleeves down and buttoned them as a shivering breeze sprang up. Its source was southwest. 
He hastened toward Mosul and his train, his heart encased in the icy conviction that soon he would face an ancient enemy. So yeah, that is pretty much that scene. Uh, we have our man in khaki walking with what seems like purpose through these ruins. Uh, we get a couple shots of surviving statues and engravings, and then uh, we get this slow pan out, and we see that this particular temple is all but demolished, just a couple pieces of uh, the ancient walls still standing, and our man is walking through this graveyard of uh, temple bricks and stones. Um and this is uh, before Isis destroyed what was left of uh, those gods and temples, uh, correct, Keenan? Well, uh, for this one, I'm not quite sure if this is the same site that we had seen in the beginning. I couldn't quite find that, whether this was a separate site. But, you know, probably because of the way Isis was working, um, if this was a real um, site, they probably did the same thing. And uh, we didn't quite talk about it, but there were other... Islamic uh, terrorist groups um, all over the world that have done this. So they've done this in Iraq. Boko Haram, which is a group in Western Africa, has done that mm. to um, to ancient um, cities um, in, say, northern um, northern Nigeria and places like that. And uh, mm. yeah, so if ISIS took control of this site, if it's a second site, uh, then probably they did, yeah, and kept the right. architecture because that was fine, as we talked about with Islamic right. architecture. But these pagan idols that they would see them were destroyed. Again, ISIS, not good guys. Boko Haram, not good guys. I'm making yeah. it official. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think uh, you know, uh, if you haven't heard it anywhere else yet, folks, you heard it here and you can take that to the bank. Um, yeah. So uh, our man in khaki has stopped. And I love this shot. A shadow passes over his face from the direction of the sun. The wind picks up as he looks in that direction and it almost blows the hat from his head. And we get a hard cut to the outline of what is obviously a demon statue. And it's literally only for a second, but we can tell it's obviously very devilish with the wings and what even appear to be uh, horns from this angle. It's um, also, if we're thinking, you know, once we sort of established that Father Marin is a priest, or at least is looking at this Catholic imagery, now mm -hmm. we have this, this, you know, this X instead of a cross that it's like the exact um, diametrically opposed figure to what we would associate with Christianity. Ah, oh, I didn't even pick that up. Oh, that is really cool. And he doesn't and, like it. <laughs> right. Definitely doesn't. This is not, he does not, he does not turn his face uh, in that direction with joy. <laughs> oh, good. Um, and this is where we first hear this really jarring, really unnerving sound. I'm assuming this is violins. I, I don't know how to describe what this sound makes me feel. I know insects don't make this kind of sound, but I associate it with something insidious like cockroaches swarming, but maybe more threatening, something that bites or stings, something creeping in through the cracks like ants. And this motif continues uh, and reappears as we get closer okay so uh when i'm watching to make sure that i'm within the minute i have to keep like uh pausing and i have mm -hmm. to keep like pressing uh, a button so i see like how far i am in the time mm -hmm. and we discovered a uh, whole I'm... new character that way um, <laughs> oh yeah so you haven't you haven't heard that episode there's yes, a whole yes. episode uh, that uh -huh. where, where mm -hmm. that really uh, got us yeah yeah he was oh, okay, hiding okay. in the amazon he was hiding in the Amazon X-ray. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, so that's, yeah, so the same sort of thing. But uh, yeah, so I, I did that during this scene. And uh, something interesting that happened was it lists this song, uh, Polymorphia, as the background mm. music for this scene. Mm. And 
uh, my assumption was that just this was like, you know, the score for the movie. So I mm-hmm. thought it was very odd that it would be listed like this. But I so I like I pulled it up and I was like, I have to like read about this because I have to see what's going on. Because you're right. Like the like it, it almost feels like spiders are like walking across you as you listen mm. to the song. Right? And uh, it's the song Polymorphia that was composed by uh, his name is Krzysztof Penderecki. And this is in mm. 1961. Huh. And um, he composed this in the wake of the overthrow of the Stalinist regime in Poland. Hmm. And it is, uh, even from a perspective, not from listening to it, it's a very non-traditional piece of music. Hmm. Uh, And so to get across the sounds that he wanted, uh, Penderecki invented his own musical notation. And so, for instance, um, like a black triangle could signify play the highest note that your instrument can handle. So like whatever instrument you've got, just the highest note is what I need. And the score for this song is it's 33 pages of sketches and diagrams in different colors. And so just like a very chaotic sort of thing, if you're not used to, or if you're used to um, uh, traditional musical notation, correct? Interesting. Uh, and uh, I I brought some pictures here, uh, and I so I just wanted to show them to you all, and um, hopefully we can link these pictures in the description of the show. Maybe um, I'm making promises now that Lester has to keep. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so if you kind of look at these pictures, you sort of see like, okay, it's um, it doesn't look quite like musical notation, but you can definitely see that there's uh, there's time that's being um, expressed here. Correct. Right. If you mm, yeah. didn't, if I didn't know what this was, it would take me a while to notice. But there is a um, like a bass clef and a treble clef, and that's the only thing that looks familiar to musical notation. Yeah, folks. Um, and I'll try to get this into the show notes as well. But uh, you can also check it out online if you just Google uh, polymorphia. That's P-O-L-Y-M-O-R-P-H-I-A. Um, and I'm seeing on t- YouTube, yes, it even comes up in conjunction with The Exorcist and also The Shining. Interesting. Um, oh, that that makes a lot of sense. So, so as in polymorphia is used in The Shining or, or mm-hmm. just this uh, this composer? Well, I'm seeing I'm seeing uh, polymorphia, the shining. Oh uh, wow! When I, I would love when, to look when the search that comes up. up. Yeah, uh, that that's really interesting, actually, because um, you know we take for granted in music. I'm not a music guy, but my boyfriend is. He um, mm. he has several degrees in music and works in music, mm. um, and we take for granted that the way that we um, that we notate music and write music is is the only way. But it was invented, you know, a couple hundred years ago by people. Mm. And it, it, you know, Bach basically invented the way that we would do that. And then we just say, well, that's we haven't come up with a better system. Uh, mm. So it doesn't mean that that's the only possible way that we could do it. Um, and in film music, um, let's see, we're, we have a movie that we're making in 1972, released in 1973. Movie right. music would be, you know, still relatively <laughs> new. Um, the first musical score that we tend to give credit to is for King Kong, um, mm. which is 1933. So we're talking about 40 years of movie music at this point. Uh, wow. So we had sort of solidified into what's a musical score. Well, it's classic music, classical right. music. Um, right. And whenever we had um, a counterpoint to that, say rock or jazz, it was sort mm-hmm. of like, oh, my God, <laughs> that that's so shocking. <laughs> but of course, there's a bunch of experimental music and we don't really get experimental real experimental music that we would have in, in you know, what musicians would consider uh, the avant-garde in film music until about this time period in the 70s and 80s. Really? Yeah, and one of the composers who was big on that was the composer of The Shining, Wendy Carlos, um, Mm -hmm. who... 
you might be interested to know is also a trans woman who is working hmm. in music, um, you know, as an out trans woman at a time when very few people were. Wow. So one of the most influential composers of all time was a trans woman. So there you go. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and incidentally, uh, folks, there is also um, a shining minute. I believe it's called Room 237. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do everything in two minutes and 37 uh, second chunks. Oh, that's um, really clever. Uh, right? <laughs> I was thinking they also did they also did Rosemary's Baby and they did it in six minutes and 66 uh, seconds, which would be six minutes or it would be seven minutes and 10 seconds, I guess. But um <laughs> Uh, and I, I very briefly thought of uh, doing that for The Exorcist as well, kind of taking a leaf from their book. Oh, but, but then I was like, ah, it. yeah, they already took it. So <laughs> um, I, I don't cannot. know if you saw the Tenet minute um, does hmm. each episode is the first. So the first episode is the first minute of Tenet and the last minute of Tenet. And they work <sighs> inwards and outwards like that. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Keenan, we got all these brilliant podcasts surrounding <laughs> us. We got to up our game. Oh, my God. We don't do anything. We don't do anything. <laughs> we, should, we should just give up right now. Uh, and I wanted to mention. Um, I, um, oh, go ahead, Ian. Uh, I, I still think that you all need to just rank every single minute of The Exorcist from like <laughs> best to worst. And then what you do is uh, if somebody like doesn't have a bunch of time, like it's just, oh, I just have 10 minutes. It's like, okay, well, these are the top 10 minutes from The Exorcist. And if you just watch these, you'll. You'll basically get yeah. You'll get the gist of it. Get the gist. Yeah, the greatest. And that'll be in in ascending (laughs) order or descending order, depending on uh, how good of a time you want to have. Right. Oh Um, yeah, yeah. Like a Carson Daly kind of like mm -hmm. uh, yeah. From uh, still top uh, ten. Yeah. mm -hmm. Tr. Wait, no. Trl. That's what they yeah, call yeah. it, right? Total, total request live. I'm old enough that I would. Uh, so we're old enough that we're bringing up Carson Daly first of all for you mm-hmm. younger people, and then brought, I'm old enough that I remember. We brought up Ingmar Bergman. We brought up Ingmar Bergman this year, but I'm old enough that I remember what TRL stands for. In a train that's that's barreling toward the screen. I'm so old, I remember what MTV stands for. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. Wow. Wow. Um thank you. Thank you Ian. This is this is really cool. Thank you so much. Um but uh there's a couple things I want to say about this shot, this first uh one second glimpse of uh this statue in shadow. One, we see that this is morning because the sun pokes out from between the demon's wings. It's rising. I've been trying to pay more attention to the direction that the filmmakers are telling us the sun is coming from since you pointed mm-hmm. out the southwest wind, but I'm, I'm having trouble with that. Yeah, I'm a little bit confused now, even as I'm looking at these notes, because we just read the book and it was setting. <laughs> and if you look at if you look at Marin's face right before he sees the statue, a shadow passes over his face. Um, but then it, it cuts to that that uh, the demon statues in silhouette and the sun kind of like peeks up from uh from in between his wings so i don't know i don't know if if we're going up or we're going down if this is the beginning of the day or the end Mm -hmm. of the day but that might be intentional uh as we see in just a minute right we've been playing with that the entire time right we've been showing the sun that we think it's the moon it's actually the sun we've been playing the time of the, the whole movie yes yes um and two because the sun is behind it we can't tell which way the statue is facing oh that's a really good point right yeah, we assume it's facing Marin already. Why would we not? But then our man in khaki starts this long trek up that hill and he works his way around the statue and the camera does this dizzying shift so that the statue is in the center of the shot and we realize, oh my God, we were looking at its back and now it's looking at us and looking at Marin 
And again, we only get to see it for a second because the noise of a rockfall startles us and we look with Marin and we see a guard is watching him closely. And before we can register that, our attention is torn away by the sound of wild dogs fighting. We go from there back to Marin's face and we zoom in and he, as he uh, turns back to look at this demon. Right. Potentially all this composition again is is what's right emotionally. So we might not, mm. you know, when you're trying to figure out like logic and what's actually happening, um, you know, that, that sometimes is the wrong question we should be mm. thinking about emotional logic about what it feels like. Um, but you know, you might get a lot out of it, depending if you could really parse this. Um, I could see someone interpreting this thing. Well, it, it sort of matters whether Pazuzu is looking into the setting sun or the rising sun. Like you can write whole mm-hmm. term papers <laughs> about, right. about what the movie means if he's looking in the setting sun or what the movie means if he's looking in the rising sun. And, um, right. uh, I, you know, either one sounds valid to me because <laughs> yeah. I can't tell. Yeah. And I was just going to ask another wrong question. Oh, yeah. um, are we t- <laughs> are we to take it uh, from this that uh, the demon is causing all this chaos around him or that Marin is just really jumpy because he's found the thing that he was looking for? He found this statue and he knows that he's going to have to fight. I'd love to ask Ian that. Like, Ian, do you think Marin is going crazy or do you think that this statue is making these weird things happening around him? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I think that it the scene definitely uh, wants to give you the impression that the the statue is an active participant in all this. Like, you know, mm. Lester was talking about the shadow and the, the shadow like climbs up his face as he's yes. looking up. And, uh, you know, where we're obviously we know in realistic terms, it's like, oh, it's because, you know, the sun is moving <laughs> in some direction. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it it could give the feel that the statue itself is actually emerging at this moment. And mm. and so it's it's made the decision to reveal itself to him in this way. And uh, in doing so, it's it's like, you know, hey, this is me. This is the world we're in now. This is what it's like. There's no more peace. And so, uh, yeah, it could very well be that the the statue is uh, arriving and bringing this chaos. Oh, yeah. I really like that interpretation. I like that, too. I've talked a lot in previous minutes about how it seems that, that Father Marin is an unreliable narrator. Like, we have some mm. shots that we can't quite put our finger on when we're really looking at them. But mm. I think that that feels less prevalent in, in these few minutes with the statue. It does feel like the statue is a character to me who is um, doing this. And then as, as uh, you read in the book, the book wants us to think so as well. But again, the book is from Father Marin's perspective. We're in his head. So when he says things like, like, oh, you know, I, I, this force is, is working like, you know, maybe he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking about editing, if we can go back to the 1920s and Russian style editing, <laughs> Russians, the Russians who are inventing what we know as editing theory now, uh, okay. with our minute that we're calling, um, you know, this look at statues, <laughs> another right. look at statues, <laughs> we get these icons or these, um, these idols, however you want to call them. And, and we see a couple mm-hmm. of inserts about them first. And one mm. is this like face of a man. He might look like a sun god or something, right? He has the sun or the wind behind him, but it's a face yes. of a man. And then mm-hmm. we cut directly to a statue. The first statue that we've really seen of an animal, like mm-hmm. a clearly animal type figure. Right. So we cut from this man, clearly man type figure, even though he's mm-hmm. mystical, to a clearly animal type figure, even though he's mystical. And yes. then we're going to see Pazuzu, who's a combination of both. Yes. yes. So, so in in you know Russian Soviet theory, they would talk about like synthesis, antithesis. I'm sorry, I did backwards. In Russian Soviet theory, they would talk about thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. Right, this dialectical mode that we see what is, what is the opposite, and then we see the combination of those or the the result of those. 
that is really cool. I was I was trying so hard to uh, identify those two statues. I know exactly, or those two images. Uh, I know exactly the ones you're talking about. Um, and I was trying to look up uh, Mesopotamian uh, gods and see if uh, they they looked similar. Um, the second one, so the first one you're talking about, um, he kind of has it almost looks like leaves or or just some kind of like flourish, kind of like coming right. out of his cheeks, right? We like see the that green very, man or something in our, our yes. I, I was right. I was going to even mention the green man. Um, from yes, from European paganism. Um, and then we have like the head of a bird, right? Like it looks like an eagle or a it's hawk. clearly a bird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no interpretation <laughs> possible. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, no, you 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 hit the nail on the head. You have you have a human, an animal, and then you have Pazuzu. That is really really cool. What was it you said? Thesis, antithesis, synthesis. synthesis. Right. That's the dialectical mode um, that people like Sergey Eisenstein and Lev Kuleshov are developing and editing. That is really cool. And that might speak to a theory that I have later Ooh. about um, when Reagan makes animal sounds. Oh, that's um, fun. Because there is that is kind of like one of the tropes of um, demonic possession mm-hmm. is that the subject will uh, start um, lowing like a steer or chirping like a bird or, you know, these all these other like kind of disturbing um, animal sounds. And I have a theory about that, but um, it's interesting that we have this kind of like combination of human and animal in Pazuzu. And we we saw we were kind of like introduced to him through uh, these other statues. That's really cool. That's great. All right. Um, uh, Ian, do you have anything you want to add? Uh, I guess that I would say uh, that uh, my attempt at synthesis of all this is uh, if we look <laughs> back at uh, Polymorphia, that uh, that uh, creepy, unsettling song that <laughs> plays during all this. Uh, well, the translated meaning of Polymorphia is the same meaning in many different forms. Oh, my God. It's all <laughs> coming together as it should because it's synthesis. Okay. Well, folks, that is it. So... Until next time, the power of polymorphia compels you.